everyone, welcome to The Science of Beauty, a new podcast from Allure. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief of Allure. And I'm Jenny Bailly, the Executive Beauty Director. On this podcast, we're going to be exploring the science behind beauty and the products that we're always talking about and using here at Allure. And to start off the show today, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the origin story of one particular product, one you've definitely heard of. That's why I had to talk to my doctor about Botox Cosmetic. You're bad enough for Botox. There's only one Botox Cosmetic. Ask for it by name. So we are all familiar with Botox. And Michelle, let's just go there right away. Have you ever done Botox? Ooh, we're going there. I have done Botox. Um, I think the first time I did it was probably about five years ago. And not going to lie, I was nervous. I remember saying to the dermatologist go light, please. I don't want to look crazy. And so the doctor who I went to went very light. And within a couple days, I just looked kind of fresher, more awake, um, and totally not frozen. Uh, Okay, Jenny, your turn. Have you done Botox? I have. I have. I did the cliched thing. I did Botox for the first time a few weeks before my 40th birthday. And I did, had a similar experience. You know, I did it just in my forehead, kind of softening Um, those horizontal lines. And yeah, my forehead just got very placid. Although now I do look, I look back at those 40th birthday pictures and my forehead was a little shiny. It was maybe a little too much (laughs) that first time, but nobody noticed. I was like, is my husband going to notice? Is anyone going to know? No one noticed. Yeah. Well, Botox has become such a part of our culture. It was injected over 7 million times just last year. So it's easy to forget that it was originally derived from a potentially deadly neurotoxin. That's right. But it's such an incredible story. How did this substance that was once tested as an agent of bacterial warfare become the genesis of an innovation that is now such a commonplace treatment for just making us look more refreshed, for ironing out our etched brows and our crinkly eyes? The answer is fascinating. And we're going to get it right from the source, from the woman who first discovered that botulinum neurotoxin type A could be used to make wrinkles disappear. I'm Jean Carruthers. I'm an oculoplastic surgeon in Vancouver, Canada. And I worked on this project with my husband, Dr. Alistair Carruthers. And the project she's talking about is how she and her husband, dermatologist Alistair Carruthers, realized that botulinum toxin might just be an incredible beauty tool. And they set out to prove it. We figured who better than Dr. Carruthers to talk us through it. Botox is a protein. Uh, It's made by an anaerobic bacterium called Clostridium botulinum. And what it does is that it goes into a nerve that supplies the muscle and stops the nerve being able to stimulate the muscle. So it weakens muscles. Uh, It was first observed in Weinsberg in Germany when they had a poisoning epidemic. And what was happening, people were dying of this mysterious paralytic disease from sausages that these people were eating. And that's how it got the name botulism, because botulus is Latin for sausage. And he, in fact, wanted to try it on himself. And his friends said, no, no, please don't do that. But that's how it got its reputation as a terrible poison, because of what it did historically over 100 years ago in Germany. So it started out as paralyzing sausages. Yes, these people were- I never knew that. Yeah, they were uh, eating these sausages. Uh, they, They were impoverished after a war had gone through their area. 
hygiene was more difficult than uh, in peaceful times. And this is what was happening. And uh, it was it was something that uh, Justinus Kerner, this fantastic medical examiner, thought, well, maybe we could use it to treat things like St. Vitus dance and other overactive muscle conditions. So there's the first connection, really, between seeing something as a poison and as a drug. And when were you first introduced to it? Well, it was 1982. I had the opportunity to go and work with Alan Scott in San Francisco at the Smith Kettlewell Institute on botulinum toxin that summer. It was his idea to use it to treat people with misaligned eyes, eyes that turn in or out without surgery. And so that was a revolutionary idea because people felt that surgery was safe and this was a poison. And so what Alan did was to use, um, a, he did an initial study on macaca monkeys and he compared injections in the orbit, muscle, the eye muscles of botulinum toxin and also cobra venom, uh, A-bungao neurotoxin and DFP, which is a nerve gas. And uh, those monkeys didn't make it, but the botulinum-treated monkeys got a change in their eye position, and they lived. So that was the start of thinking this is something we could do as a trial on humans who have uh, serious problems with their eyes being misaligned, and also a secondary problem with people who can't open their eyes. And two days after you've been treated with botulinum toxin to relax those eye muscles, you were able to open your eyes, drive a car, be a bus driver, earn a living, uh, be independent again. It's a huge uh, life change. So how and when did you discover that you could actually use the toxin to treat lines and wrinkles? 87 is when uh, we first used this, this product cosmetically. And so uh, what happened was that one of my patients, my blepharospasm patients, got angry at me because I hadn't treated her between her brows. And I apologized to her and I said, I'm so sorry. I would have treated you there had I thought you were spasming there. And she said, no, every, I know I'm not spasming there, but every time you treat me there, I get this beautiful, untroubled expression. So this is the benefit of being married to a, a dermatologist who is a cosmetic dermatologist because he had expressed his frustration about how difficult it was to get a nice, smooth brow uh, and get rid of frown lines with the currently available treatments, which were collagen, fibril, and fat. And so I went home and said, you know, I think my, my um, botulinum toxin could be very helpful to your wrinkle patients. And that's how we started and did our first study together. So I've heard that your first patient was actually your receptionist. Is that right? Yeah, she was our first one. What was her reaction like after you had injected her for the first time to try, try to smooth those lines? Well, I think she really did it because she was trying to help us. I, I don't think she was bothered by her frown lines. So she was very pleased because it did, it really did help how she looked during the day. But I think inside it didn't really bother her. So she was pleased, but not ecstatic. But we were ecstatic because we could see what this had right. done. So, Michelle, let's just zoom out for a minute. Okay, let's do it. Before we get back to Dr. Carruthers' story about discovering Botox and what it could do cosmetically, let's explain what the toxin is and how it works. 
So maybe one thing that not everyone knows about Botox is that it is a brand name for its one brand name for a purified form of a drug called botulinum neurotoxin type A. It was the first in this class of drugs that was approved for cosmetic use. And today, the word Botox has really become like Kleenex. Whatever tissue you're picking up, you call it Kleenex. And in this case, people say Botox to mean any neurotoxin that is used to smooth lines and wrinkles. So in this episode, you will hear us say Botox, but we are actually talking about this whole class of neuromodulators. Right. And in the case of the toxin in Botox, the neuromodulator is blocking signals from nerves to the muscles that are responsible for wrinkles. And there are now lots of brands out there, like Xeomin, Dysport, and the newest kit on the block is Juvo. I love these names. I know. Sounds so, so French and lovely. So youthful. Okay, back to Dr. Carruthers. What does Botox do to the skin? First of all, it relaxes the muscles underneath the skin. So it stops the skin folding into those lines and wrinkles. And secondly, it has an effect on the sweat glands in the skin. And it also has an effect on the oil glands in the skin. You'll often notice that people who have been treated with neuromodulator have beautiful texture, smoother texture, and more reflectivity to their skin. It loses that dull look. Right. Now, when you discovered what the toxin could do for lines and wrinkles, did you guys just immediately run to the larger dermatologic community with this great news? And I would love to know how exactly you were received with the news that you had this toxin that you thought the public should inject in their foreheads to look better. It took us quite a long time to get 18 patients in our first study. I would be explaining to people how it would be you know, helpful for their frown lines if they would have this treatment. And they would say, inevitably, well, isn't that a terrible poison? And so I realized that the only way I would ever get any patients to do this was to do it to me. So I got Alistair to inject me, and I had my pictures from before. When people would say, yes, but isn't that a terrible poison? I would say, what do you think? and show them my forehead and the pictures that I had, the before pictures. And they'd say, oh, do it. You had said, you know, you did the treatment on yourself, you know, back in the late 80s, kind of convincing other people to join the study. Have you continued, if you don't mind my asking, continued using Botox over all these years? Oh, of course, yes. I haven't frowned since 1987. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me to frown now, you can see how I can't frown. You look very peaceful. And do you do the injections on yourself? Does your husband do them? Well, Alistair retired uh, five years ago, uh, but he was doing my injections before that. And since he's retired, I've been doing my own. And how long does it usually take, you know, on average for someone to see those lines really disappear after they've gotten the injections? It starts within 24 hours and usually by 48 hours. And then the full effect is usually five to seven days after the injection. And then gradually by about 16 weeks, it's uh, starting to wear off in the active phase. But the, uh, the resting phase is really active for a lot longer, like 150 days. Did it take a lot of time for people to really catch on or were people extremely, extremely excited and you just had like this deluge of people saying, I want this? It took quite a long time and a lot of media initially was quite um, 
surprised and almost indignant that people would dare to use uh, a poison as a treatment for something they saw so frivolous as wrinkles. But wrinkles are not frivolous. Wrinkles are self-esteem. Self-esteem is what powers us through our days and uh, through our lives. But we understand now that, that drugs are drugs because we know the dose that we're using, not a wheelbarrow full of toxin. We're putting in a very, very tiny amount. And so I think that it's been around long enough that it's almost a generational drug so that baby boomers now see it as not something that's unusual. It's quite, quite an average thing to do. We've definitely heard of people in their 20s getting preventive Botox. One, I guess, is that true? And two, what's the science behind that? Is it that the muscles are relaxing and then therefore the wrinkles don't ever form? Or what's going on there? Yeah, I think that there's um, a lot to this. And it comes under the heading of prejuvenation, which is there's the ability to treat people before they get the signs of aging. I think a lot of people have realized that with neuromodulators, you you actually can prevent those folds happening. Because when you think about it, the muscles are like little irons in there, um, folding the skin again and again and ironing in those wrinkles. So if you can prevent the muscles doing that. So it, in my practice over the years, I've seen certainly lots of, of younger uh, younger women come in and then the next time they come in, they bring their mother because they've gone home for dinner on Sunday night. And she says, darling, what have you been doing? <laughs> and obviously today the use of Botox is pretty ubiquitous. Um, how do you feel about the use of Botox today? Oh, I think it's wonderful. I think that most of the people who are uh, injecting Botox are pretty well trained. I think that there are obviously people who can uh, improve their technique. But I think there are still a lot of people who think about the kind of horrors of Botox because we've seen it in some celebrities. Um, we've seen all images on like the internet and videos of people who cannot move their faces because they're frozen. Um, how do you feel about Botox's reputation? I think that people realize that uh, it's important to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, I think you need to know the antecedents of the people who are, who are treating you. And with that being said, I think it's the most remarkably safe and effective treatment around. But obviously, there's always going to be somebody who tries to do something without knowing what they're doing. And I think, Dr. Carlos, to your point about, you know, about dosage and and what you're actually dealing with here in terms of the toxin, I, a couple years ago, was lucky enough to get to go to the factory where Botox is made in Ireland, yeah. in, in Westport. Have you been there? I've been there. Yeah. Isn't it, amazing? It, was ama it was amazing. But I learned so much. And one, I thought one of the most fascinating things was that the source drug travels to Ireland on a private plane with a full security detail from an undisclosed location in the US. I mean, this is a very dangerous substance, but it only takes one gram of the purified toxin to make the entire world supply of Botox for a year, Whoa! Um, which I thought was fascinating. You know, so you have just the tiniest amount of the purified toxin is, you know, all the Botox um, at all the dermatologist's office around the world for a year. So that to me was kind of amazing. It is totally, I totally agree with you. And when you, when you um, sort of come, come down on how much is actually in each vial, 
it's actually five nanograms, five billionths of a gram is in each vial. So people ask, so uh, how much is too much? And uh, nobody really knows that because we obviously would never do that study on human. I know there have been some studies about um, Botox and depression kind of looking at, you know, that feedback loop with your mind. And when you can't frown, when you can't make those frown lines, does it actually lift your mood? I think it's an interesting area of research. Uh, there's a lot of studies that show that there's uh, there are various depression scales that you can use. Eric Finzi, an American uh, dermatologic surgeon, and he showed in nine out of ten patients that there was a tremendous improve, improvement in the mood just treating this area uh, in the glabella. Dr. Carruthers, thank you so much. I feel like we've learned so much. Thank you, Dr. Carruthers. It was an honor. You changed our beauty lives. I know our listeners can't see what Dr. Carruthers looks like, but I've just got to say, she does look truly peaceful. She really does. Maybe we should all take a Science of Beauty field trip to Vancouver to get treated by the doctor. Yes, once Canada's willing to let us in again. Okay, well, after the break, we'll be talking to a dermatologist who can tell us all about how she uses Botox and all the other tools in her arsenal to deal with wrinkles. We'll be right back. We're back, and we're here with a doctor who knows all about wrinkles, how they work, where they come from, what to do about them, and why there's also a lot to love about them. Hi, I'm Melissa Levine. I'm a board-certified dermatologist and founder of Ontier Dermatology. Okay, so we're going to get straight into it. What are wrinkles, and where do they come from? So wrinkles are, they could be creases, or they could be folds and ridges in the skin. So you know, people typically will think about wrinkles forming as we get older. And that's usually from natural expressions or the skin getting thinner and less bouncy over time. So we call that elastic. And all of these changes make it so that your skin is unable to protect itself from damage. So if you think about it, when you're young or you look at your baby's skin, the skin is so bouncy, right? You press on it, bounces right back. And that's because the skin has so much elasticity. But as we get older, the skin loses that flexibility. So that's aging. Facial expression. So that we can start developing when we're younger. So smiling, frowning, squinting, this leads to development of fine lines and wrinkles at a young age. And then as we get older, they can deepen. So theoretically, could you be like a really cranky young child and have wrinkles, like have frown lines? So, you know, the other thing I tell people is just like, look, like you probably as a baby always had lines around your mouth, right? We call them laugh lines. And getting rid of those completely is weird because... It's normal to have lines and creases, even, even babies and kiddos have them. So you can absolutely get wrinkles when you're, when you're young. Dehydration. So a lot of people don't think about it. And then I think when I say dehydration, it's natural for a lot of listeners to think about body, like internal dehydration. What I'm really talking about is skin dehydration um, and lack of moisture or the disruption or the break of your skin barrier. Um, and so moisturizing basic, easy things. Um, if your skin is chronically dehydrated, that can lead to wrinkles. I know that it's almost become cliche at this point that people who have 
nice looking skin sometimes are like, oh, I drink a lot of water. Is it a balance of drinking water plus hydrating your skin from the outside too? So in general, I always say the body is actually really smart. And so when you're drinking water, the body is actually going to use that water and shuttle it to, unfortunately, as a dermatologist, I say this, but the more important organs. So it's going to take it to, you know, the heart and the brain and your lungs. And even though the skin is the largest organ in our body, most of the hydration and the moisture for our skin comes with topicals. But of course, living a well-balanced, healthy diet and lifestyle, which is drinking water, having like a well-balanced Mediterranean diet with lots of fruits and vegetables. These are all really important for your overall health and subsequently the skin. We've tried to pretty much ban the water answer at Allure. It's not easy, but sometimes you even have to ask, like, give me your best beauty tip. And it cannot be about drinking (laughs) water. So I'd like to ask for a friend if wine and an alcohol consumption, does that cause wrinkles to come on earlier or deeper? Everything in moderation, right? So we know that certain alcohols can have antioxidants like resveratrol with red wine um, that have antioxidant capabilities. But in general, you should drink less alcohol, right? So alcohol, we know, dehydrates the body. You know, people ask me, like, what should I eat to make sure that, you know, I have the best skin possible? People are super into collagen supplements now. Um, But I always say, like, what we do know is that sugar and, you know, refined carbohydrates, which eventually become sugar, also accelerate skin aging as well. And then we definitely have heard quite a lot about collagen supplements in many different forms. Put them in your drink. Maybe they're gummy bears. What is your take on them? Are they doing anything there was actually a huge um, study um, and, you know, a lot, there's, there's not that many good diet studies with the skin because it's actually very hard to do. A lot of diet studies are actually sponsored by companies like Nestle because they have a, a vested interest in that. So I always tell my patients, listen, if you're super into supplements, I'm not going to say don't do it, but there are things that you can do that we know will help with the collagen story. Protect your skin, sunscreen every day. Protect your skin more than just from UV radiation. Use an antioxidant serum, right? Because we now know that free radicals age the skin and it's generated by infrared radiation, heat, different environmental triggers like pollution. The current technology that we have for skin right now is antioxidant serum that you apply, not ingest. And then repair what we do know, vitamin A derivatives. Holy grail. This is why we just say it over and over again. Retinol, retinoids, they genetically modify your expression of collagen. What about gravity? I've noticed as I've aged, you know, there's some, it's like you were talking about the lines around your mouth that you could, you know, you might have even as a child. And then as like everything starts to fall, I feel like those lines get deeper, but more just, I don't know, I'm blaming gravity, but is that? I mean, gravity is part of it, right? So like gravity is true, but like what I was saying that expression lines, right? They can start really early. That's not from gravity. That's, That's from just repeated expression. So then that gets into like, how do we categorize wrinkles? So we categorize wrinkles either static, so not moving, or dynamic. So I always compare it to like, think about a sheet of paper. If I keep on folding the paper over and over, the fold is going to get deeper and deeper and the crease will develop. 
So dynamic wrinkles are repetitive facial movements that then result in wrinkles. So that's really what a neuromodulator like Botox is treating. Now, static wrinkles can also be due to gravity. As women, we tend to think about losing bone, right? So we're very conditioned to think about taking calcium and vitamin D for our bone health. But you're using, you're losing bone and your bones are getting smaller everywhere. Your skull, your cheekbone, your jawline, your nose. But our bones are what creates structure and they hold everything up. So our bones get smaller. We have fat pads and because of gravity, they start moving down. So this fat pad right here that is right above my laugh line, over time, it's going to go down, 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 right? Well, that's bad news. So I think, you know, this is um, a part of why we use fillers, which is hyaluronic acid um, that we use as an injectable to, you know, soften sometimes a deeper line. And especially, you know, these laugh lines is a lot of it has to do with the loss of your cheeks and your jawbone, and that structure and support. So that's why we put a little bit of filler out here to kind of support that bony loss. And can we talk for a minute about crow's feet? I feel like crow's feet are, they're having a moment. I think this this masked <laughs> existence we're living in. <laughs> I like crow's feet. I, I'm a fan of crow's feet. So you realize when you can't see the bottom half of anyone's face, how much we rely, you know, the crow, crow's feet are the only way you can kind of know how someone's reacting to you if they're smiling is there well yeah like you know it, as yeah no totally because it, it they're it, like joy wrinkles yes. instead of sadness wrinkles I, I think you know you know the question of like are wrinkles bad you know there's obviously like a stigma right that's why you know a lot of people feel like they want to treat um, their wrinkles because yeah there are certain wrinkles on our face that will elicit like this this human kind of reaction of like oh that that person looks so sad or that person looks angry when like they don't feel that way and we know that as like RBF right um, but on the other end resting bitch yeah. face <laughs> um, on the other end like some wrinkles like highlight sincerity. Um, and I think crow's feet is, is one of them that is genuine expression. And there's actually like people have studied the psychology of this. So there's like a type of smile that the psychologist will describe. It's called like a non-duchens like smile where it's perceived as a non-genuine smile or a polite smile, right? Where you just like kind of smile with your teeth, not showing and then not activating that muscle here. So in general, for my patients, I'll, I'll tend to maintain crow's feet um, unless we want to open up the eyes and I'll soften the crow's feet. But I, I like to maintain that. But Michelle, remember that story we did? Liz Siegel wrote it and it was about crow's feet. And um, we looked at a study that showed that deep crow's feet are good predictors of lower divorce rates. <laughs> election victories and how wealthy people think you are. So th these researchers had looked at like yearbook pictures and politicians' headshots and dating profile photos. I, anyway, it was kind of a fascinating. You know, it's interesting. Study. Like you actually want to maintain wrinkles um, for men and women uh, because it, it is associated with wisdom um, and, and wealth and success. Yeah, I like them too. I feel like the thing I hear the most is people saying they don't want to look so tired. It's kind of like that really happy ground. Like there's like this spectrum of what 
people um, and depending on like what society, like, you know, where you are in the world will accept as, as something that, that we want. Men have a few advantages over women, um, especially for fine lines around the mouth. And there was actually a study that looked at men's skin and, you know, not surprisingly, men have a higher number of oil glands. We call them sebaceous glands, particularly around the mouth area. Well, that's not surprising. They have beards. So actually having more oil glands makes it so that your skin is thicker and then it's more resistant to movement. Um, So that's why men tend to develop wrinkles um, later than women. I know you'd said earlier, you know, wrinkles are a sign of wisdom and they can be wonderful, but I think there's still a, certainly a double standard about, you know, how many wrinkles are wonderful if you're a man versus a woman. Do you have a lot of men coming in for wrinkle treatments? I do, but, you know, I'm I'm a female dermatologist, so the majority of my patients are women. I would say about 10 to 15% of my injectable patients are men. And when you're using fillers to treat wrinkles. So not, you know, not the neuromodulators, not Botox, but fillers like hyaluronic acid. Is it mostly using them in like the cheek area to kind of lift that skin or are there, are there different things you're doing? Oh, we, we use it all over. You know, I think there is now, there are new hyaluronic acid that just came to market, but I think we're getting close to 30 different hyaluronic acid fillers that are FDA approved in the U.S., the hyaluronic acids are linked together, how much lifting capability um, the filler has. We use it in different ways. So the filler that I may use to lift up a cheekbone or kind of sculpt out a jawline is going to be a different filler than I use to soften a laugh line, um, to soften a tear trough, to soften a wrinkle in between the brow. I mean, you know, I always tell people it's like so nice to age now. Um, because we have so much choice and we have, you know, so much technology that allows us to, to, to make these decisions with, with education and, and with the partnership of your, whoever you're seeing. But is there anything else, any other ingredients that you found personally or in your practice are really helpful, like as a, as a moisturizer? Because I know we talked about hydrating skin from the outside in. Yeah, definitely. Like um, antioxidants is huge. You know, as germs, we're always like retinol, retinol. But there are alternatives to vitamin A derivatives that stimulate collagen. So the big one is peptides. But peptides are kind of just like this umbrella term of like broken up protein. And so there are different peptides that have been actually properly studied more so than others that stimulate collagen. Um, And there are certain brands that just focus on peptides because they can be finicky molecules. Can you, can you tell us what, what some of the most studied peptides are and or some of the brands that are really doing it right with peptides? So one of the leaders in terms of peptide medical-grade skincare is Elastin. Um, Elastin skincare, really, that's all that they focus on. Um, and they have kind of created this very special um, niche market of studying peptides and their products in the setting of procedures that we do. So laser resurfacing, microneedling, radiofrequency, and hyaluronic acid injectables. Um, So I really like Elastin. The other one that's older is called Revision. Revision was probably one of the first kind kind of leaders when it came to peptides. Um, and then Neocutis is another one that has um, good peptides as well. 
I have a question asking for a friend. <laughs> is it is it overkill if you're using all of them? No. What do you, what do you think germs are doing? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dr. Levine, we have some listener questions now. Shoot them. I've noticed ring-like wrinkles on my neck. What can I do? Ring-like wrinkles. I think a lot of people are noticing that with Zoom. Um, so there's a couple of things that could be happening. So actually, a lot of people will naturally have these circular rings since they're very young. And then as you get old, your skin will get thinner and you'll notice more of those deepening lines. So there are procedures that you can do, such as skin tightening procedures. You can do laser resurfacing, microneedling. Um, I do a lot of biostimulatory fillers in that area as well with hyperdiluted, what's called Radi-S. It's an injectable filler that stimulates your own body to make more collagen. Sometimes I'll actually thread a very delicate hyaluronic acid filler along the wrinkle as well. Um, so there's many procedures that you can do. The other cause of um, banding around the neck is what's called platysmal banding. So we have a muscle um, that starts kind of like in your uh, mid-lower face and it hooks all the way down to your collarbone. And over time, we strain and use that muscle more and more. So if you go like this a lot, like E, or you like pull that muscle, we actually can use Botox or a neuromodulator to soften so you're not banding so much. If I get filler and I don't like it, what are my options? So one thing is that filler doesn't last forever. It will naturally break down in your body. But hyaluronic acid fillers are the leader in fillers for a reason. We have the enzyme that our body has, but we have it in an injectable form. And that enzyme is called hyaluronidase. And that breaks down the filler. So let's say you don't like it. You want to soften it. It's still there after a year or two then we can actually use hyaluronidase, break down the hyaluronic acid filler, and it turns into water within 24 to 48 hours. In my practice, more and more, I'm actually taking away filler a lot um, to restore kind of the look that a lot of people want. Because they just kind of lost perspective, went too far? Yeah, I mean, I think you see that. I mean, I think that's kind of what's hurt our industry where you see, you know, work out there that looks abnormal and not what we want to look like. And that hurts our industry. Um, and sometimes there's something called perception drift. So you see something, you see your face over and over and you get used to it, but it's really important to to have a relationship with your dermatologist or plastic surgeon who gives you this kind of like check, like, hey, that, that looks good. Leave it be. Um, and I, I find that a lot of, especially people that we see on, you know, media can, can sometimes look a little bit odd and that makes people scared for good reason. Thank you so much, Dr. Levine. That was so fun. Thank you. You're welcome. This was really fun. All right, Jenny, we just heard all about what products Dr. Levine suggests. Let's talk about what we use for wrinkles. I use a retinoid almost every night. Um, I've used prescription retinoids in the past. Right now I'm using over-the-counter retinols and I've been alternating between um, Shani Darden, an LA esthetician, has um, a retinol, it's called Retinol Reform, 
which I really like and do not find irritating. And then every other night I will use um, Dr. Sobel, Dr. Howard Sobel is a dermatologist in New York City. And he launched a line recently that includes a 4.5% retinol, still over the counter, but a powerful over the counter. So when I use it every night, I get a start to get a little flaky. So I do that one every other night. And then of course, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. Mm -hmm. Our favorite. It's hard for me to, to separate out what I use for wrinkles because I view my skincare routine as sort of holistic and I use so many different things. Um, but I think if I had to really figure out what was making an impact, um, I love SK2's essence, their Patera. Um, that's obviously like a classic product. I feel like it's really plumping on my skin. That's a great first step after cleansing. I also, for eyes, use an eye serum as opposed to an eye cream during the day because eye creams make my makeup run. I love the one by uh, M61. Um, and I also have stopped breastfeeding recently, so I've, I can start using retinol again, which makes me very happy. Um, and I've been using the Augustinus Bader, the cream, which has, I believe it's a retinol palmitate in it. Um, so I've been using that one, and I just started it a couple of days ago. But I am going to be looking for like a stronger retinol pretty soon. You can have some of mine. I'll give you the Dr. Sobel, 4.5%. Okay, good. I want to try that one. And of course, retinols are really vitamin A derivatives, and vitamins are actually what our next episode is about. We're going to be talking all about vitamins, how to use them, and what they're good for. I can't wait. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure, and I'm at Hey Michelle Lee, and Jenny is at J by E, B A I L L Y. On our audio team, our lead producer is Carla Green, executive producer is Shara Morris, associate producer is Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soyini Driscoll and Diana Mazone. Lead researcher is Julie Risavudo, and project manager is Monica Perry. The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum.